I'm glad to be here tonight. I am really glad to be here tonight. I uh, have been thinking uh, a whole lot about uh, when I see everybody here and I see what when uh, these guys started this thing a couple of, a year ago and they, they didn't, do you think it'll come together? you think we can? Uh, yeah, yeah, it can. Yes, it can. It will. All you got to do is do these things and it will come together. And Boy, you came together. You guys came together. I swear. I cannot tell you how pleased I am to see the numbers that are here and the people that are here. And there's a, a lot of people that I've known for a lot of time and, uh, there are some very special people in my life, and that is uh, those people that uh, many of them that I sponsor are here tonight, and they are very, very special to me. And I, uh, I'm just, I'm just glad to be here. I, uh, I really think this is a great. I want to say one thing about this: the feed that we had tonight. My gosh, I have not seen a feed like that in a long, long time, and you all ought to all be applauded for that. It was fabulous. One other thing I'd like to say is that uh, uh, God has certainly graced uh, the Big Book Group with this facility. This facility is something else. It's a fabulous place. And I, uh, you know, like I said, God graced uh, this group with having this place. And I know that you appreciate it because I've heard you all say how how much that you did appreciate it, and uh, that's that's really great. I am uh, I am one of these kind of people in Alcoholics Anonymous who believe that the the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous was divinely inspired. I think that Bill Wilson was divinely inspired when he wrote it, and uh, the reason I believe that is because of my experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. My experience in Alcoholics Anonymous uh, begins on. June 27, 1966, and that's my sobriety date. And so I've had a lot of experience in there, and I've watched the wonders of uh, the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, take place during that time. And so I'm convinced that God had a hand in writing this book. I'm really convinced of that. And as I look around here tonight, and I see the lives that have been restored through the 12 steps and through... First of all, through the 12 steps. And when I say the 12 steps, there again, we have to go to God because he's the one that gave him the bill to give to us, you know. So I think, first of all, we most all of us have to have to say to our higher power, whoever that may be, you know, thank you for the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. That includes the Al-Anon because they, of course, uh, their program was derived from the 12 steps therein. And uh, to those of you who may not be either Al-Anon or alcoholic, uh, members of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, welcome, we're glad you're here, that's why we have meetings such as this, so that you can find out about what we do here, and how we, uh, how we came to be here, and what it is we do when we get here, and uh, I can assure you that uh, each one of us that came to Alcoholics Anonymous had to have a certain degree of a bottom of some kind. And by that I mean that we had to have a certain amount of total discomfort with ourselves that forced us into submitting to another idea. Nobody that I know of came to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, they didn't just wake up one day and say, Oh, it's a beautiful day outside. I think I'll go to Alcoholics Anonymous and see what's going on down there. 
I don't know of anybody that got there like that. I just, I just don't think it happens. They had to be in terrible, terrible emotional and many times physical distress. And I think all of us got to that point at one time. We didn't have, maybe many of us didn't have to go down to Skid Row. I did for a while, but it didn't mean that everybody did. Didn't have to go to Skid Row. That's not where all the drunks, the biggest percentage of the drunks are not on Skid Row. The biggest percentage of alcoholics are away from Skid Row. There's only a very small percentage that are on Skid Row. And uh, I got to Alcoholics Anonymous for the very same reason that anybody else got here. You know, I drank too long, I drank too much, and it got to the point where it had humiliated and embarrassed me, family, wives, children, mothers, fathers. Everyone in my life had been affected by my alcoholism and some other members of my family who had alcoholism. And I want you to know that I'm fully aware of, uh, of the fact that alcoholism is a deadly disease. My mother died of uh, cirrhosis of the liver at the age of 56. And uh, she was an alcoholic. I know that today. I didn't know it then. My, uh, the mother of my two children died from cirrhosis of the liver. And I want to tell you, it is a deadly disease. But thank God when they got here, when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous and became part of it, I realized that, yes, that was where we came from. But today we can live useful lives and that you too will. And I, they, can, they all gave me all that stuff about how wonderful it was going to be. And, and Alcoholics Anonymous, and I said, yeah, sure, mm -hmm, but you don't understand. I got this problem over here. The IRS is after me, they, and they want to put me in jail for taking somebody's money. And uh, I don't want to go. And, you know, it's just... <laughs> uh, and, it, it, you know, the thing that, that I think about alcoholism is this, that uh, I, just, I just happened to flash through my head. Something had, I didn't do what I really wanted to do when I got up here. I want to thank the members of this committee for allowing me and Vinoy to come back and be part of this thing. I don't know how I can get by a night without saying that because I really, really mean to you. I, I thank you. It's, it's a, a, a privilege and a pleasure. Anyway, what I was saying is that uh, I, I was uh, the kind of guy that had give, been given by these same alcoholic parents all the good values, the moral values that everybody gets, you know, when you, get, when you have people who care about you. And my folks cared about us. They cared about their kids. But they had alcoholism, and from time to time it reared its r ugly head. And uh, I'll get to the Alanonism in a while. <laughs> and uh, and it did. And I remember, you know, that uh, they used to have parties at my house. And I'd hear all the, the drinking going on and all the noise, and God, I was intrigued. I may have been five or six or seven or whatever I was, but, man, I'd, and I'd get up there, and they'd think I was in bed, and I'd go up there, and I'd watch them playing the piano and drinking that stuff, and everybody's having a ball, and I'm saying, wow, look at that, you know. I said, one day I'm going to be one of those. One day I were one of those, too. And I was a party drinker. I loved to drink at parties. I loved to go to bars and drink. I loved to drink. I like to drink anywhere. 
But I especially like, and especially when the party was going on. You know, you get the party going and everything, and you get that level just right. You alcoholics know what I mean when I say just right. I mean, we're there. We can whip the world with what we got going on tonight. And, you know, and we got wisdom, and we got charisma, and we got all that pizzazz that just makes things happen. Yeah! You know what I'm talking about. And when I'm in that level, I am impregnable. You know, 45 bullet wouldn't even touch me when I'm at that level. But, and that party, I want to keep that party going. Let it go. Just keep on rolling. Then, to hell with the circumstances. I'll catch up with them later, you know. <laughs> Worry about that later. I know there's a price to pay, but I'll get that tomorrow. And tonight, let's keep this party going. And eventually the party dies out, and there you are. And a little on the hungover side. Now, it may be that for those of you who, who don't know, uh, those of you non-alcoholics here, Alcoholics, when they're in their cup a little bit, once in a while they get a little, an upset stomach from time to time. <laughs> it's known around us as puking sometimes. You know, we, we have to go take care of things. And then we can come back and get right back in the middle of that party again, and we'll start going. But uh, it, it, that's a price. That was just a price that was part of the deal. I knew that. I wasn't so, I'd watch that happen when I, when I was watching my mother and dad at work, you know. I'd watch some of them go outside and they'd, you know, do that and then they'd come back. And, uh, I just accepted that a long time before I knew, I knew all about how that was done. But the facts are that there is always a price to pay. And the years went by. And I've been doing the partying. And, uh, you know, I, the other day I just happened to think about something and it's, it's what, something that's really, really the fact with me. You know, when you talk about the price to pay, I had gotten married, and then I always seemed to be short of money. I don't know how that was. I just never stood, could make all that stuff. You know, I'd go out into these bars and be the less, greatest, last of the big spenders and all that sort of thing. And then uh, Monday time would come around, and I've got bills to pay, you know, like the rent or the, or the house payment or whatever, the car payment or whatever it is, and I didn't have it. And I'd go see the friendly household finance person, you know, whoever that was, or the Pacific finance person. And we'd go up and we'd set up in the little account. And then for a while, they'd get that all covered and out of the way. None of you ever did that. I know, but I did. But then on Sunday night would be the worst night in the world. Because Sunday night, for an alcoholic, he's got no money. He's already spent the money over the weekend. You know, he spent it, and then all those bills are due tomorrow. And maybe they're going to call him on the job to make sure he gets that payment in there, the one he promised the week before. I don't know if that ever happened to you or not, but it did me. And I'd lie one more time and make another excuse, and I'd be, oh, sure, I'll get you Friday, you know. Worst time in the world for an alcoholic on Sunday night. And, uh... I had been drinking most of Sunday trying to get over Saturday night. And then I would have to sit there and take a look at me. And every once in a while, why do you do that? Why do you do that, Jim? And then uh, no answer comes. And it wouldn't last long, but I'd take a little inventory and say, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing that. You're, you're not doing it. You're not being fair to your kids. You're not being fair to your family. You're not taking care of your job right. Why do you do that? No answer you know, just get off the subject. But then uh, it got to the point where that uh, drinking was no longer just fun. 
it got to the point where uh, one day I'm going into blackouts. And for you, those of you who don't know what a blackout is, that's when you drink so much and all of a sudden you just have a total memory loss. And you can go walking around, tearing on conversation, doing everything else. I once woke up on a, the final uh, final approach to the Alcapulco Airport coming out of a blackout. And uh, I'd left Laredo, Texas, you know, about three days before. So uh, it was... Uh, it was risk. That's the way it goes. But anyway, what I'm saying is uh, that that's alcoholism, you know, and it's at work. And then I wake up and I and I get to the point where I get married and I'm start. This my wife told you about the story of her with this and her husband and uh, and uh, the beating up and this sort of thing. And I'm waking up and one of the things my dad had taught me many years before, Jim, I don't care what happens in your life. Now, I want to tell you boys, and he was talking to all of us. He wasn't talking just to me, but he was he was talking to us all. And he says, real men, men who are real men, do not hit women. And don't you guys ever see me, let me see you doing that. You just don't ever touch a woman. There isn't an excuse for it. You just don't touch one. You don't hit one. And I'm waking up one night, and I'm there in uh, in my living room with my, with my then wife, and I and I'm got her by the head, and I'm just slapping her up, and I come to out of a blackout. And I'm slapping her in the head, and the horror that went through me was something, and the the way I felt about myself, just is indescribable. I was as low as anything there was, and I could not change it. And I thought, my God, I'll never drink again. And it lasted for 24 hours, and I was drunk again. And then one night I woke up, and I'm doing the same thing again. And my, and I I I went back into a blackout. My dad came and got me the next morning. He says, "I guess you're satisfied, big shot. Your mother's over. Your your wife's over in the hospital, and it seems you broke her leg. You tore the cartilage on her knee last night when you two were fighting. And I guess you're real proud of yourself, aren't you, big shot? God, I wanted to die. I just wanted to just wither up and die and get out of there. But that's what happened, and that's where alcoholism took me. And it wasn't pleasant. It was not pleasant at all." It's one of those things that uh, it's just so uh, horrifying you don't even want to realize that it happened, but you know it had. And I said, boy, I'll not do this anymore. I'm not going to ever get drunk again. I went over to that hospital and I promised her I wasn't going to ever get drunk again. That we know we shouldn't drink anymore. And we both agreed, no, we won't. And 24 hours later, I was just as drunk as I could be. And so those kind of things, you know, they, they, they're very graphic in my mind still today. And I, uh, I remember a lot of things that that went about uh, with my uh, with my alcoholism and where it took me. And I, I have another out another little allergy that goes along with me. It's a little disease, really. It's called marriageitis. <laughs> I used to get married a lot, <laughs> and I used to get divorced a lot. And I used to have a lot of mother-in-law trouble. I mean, uh, lots of that. You know. <laughs> I don't know you guys ever did, but I did. I mean, yeah. I could charm them. Oh, I could just charm those mother-in-laws for about six months. Oh, gosh, they thought I was wonderful. Another six months, they said, where did you get that bum? You know. <laughs> but nevertheless, the time always came that uh, they just had enough of me. And uh, it, was one, it was one of those deals that I just couldn't, I, I couldn't ever get it together. And I knew, and I, oh, I would get up sometime and say, why can't you be like old Harry down the street here? 
He gets up, he goes into work in the morning, he puts in his eight hours, he does a good job, comes home, mows the grass, takes care of his wife and kids. On Friday night, they go to the movies, and the movies, God, you know, there's action out there, and I should go to the movie? Get out of here. You know, and, it, and I just, but I, then I said, why can't you do that? Why in the world can't you do that? I couldn't explain. I had no, I had no answers. I wanted to be a good father. I wanted to be a good husband. I wanted to in the worst way. And I knew I could one of these days if I could just get it together. But I couldn't get it together. And would it, do you think I at all thought that alcoholism was, was a problem with me or that alcohol was a real problem with me? Oh, a little bit now and then when I get too drunk or whatever. But, you know, on a, no, sir, not really. And then after so much of that, what it got to be was that it was an absolute necessity just for me to live and breathe all day long. And when I wound up with my drinking, it, uh, it was one of these things I had been through so many, so many trials and tribulations. And one of the things that I remember quite well was my, I, had, uh, I abandoned a couple of kids back here in Oklahoma. And I went to California and I, uh, I remember that one time I came back uh, to, uh, to Oklahoma City. My kids had been put in a foster home. And I came back to see them. And when I knew that they had been put in the foster home, God, I was sick at my stomach. Boy, you see, their mother's alcoholism had started manifesting itself. And she was not able to take care of them. And I had, not, I had the willingness, but nothing more. I didn't have the, the guts to go do it. I didn't have the responsibility. I didn't have the real desire. Had the desire, but just didn't know what to do with it. And I went back and I saw my... I told my kids one time, and I came to this place, and they were in the foster home, and my daughter was in there with her doll, and my son was there, and he was shy, and he was afraid that he didn't know what to think and make of me, because they didn't know me, and my uh, daughter came up, hi, daddy. And I almost, I just wanted to run out of that place because I realized that my, the responsibility that I knew was mine had been totally neglected and not taken care of. And there were two human beings right there that I had just abandoned. And God, I felt so low. And that night I had to drink about three-fifths before I could pass out. And that's all I could do was just to pass out. Thank God that daughter, that daughter is sitting here with me tonight in this room. And the depth of the love that I have for her is inconceivable. It is uh, one of God's grace is what it is. The, uh, the things that, that uh, brought me here, you've heard enough of. There are many, many more, thousands more of incidents just like that. I wanted to be what I could not be because I had the, the disease of alcoholism. And every time I tried, oh, I'd have spurts of trying. But then frustration would get in there and I'd stop. And I wound up in a, in a hotel room, about a fifth-class hotel in the center of downtown Los Angeles at the corner of 7th and Broadway. 
and I was in this place, and I knew by then that I had to drink all day. I drank all the time when I was working. I had a, <laughs> had the perfect job. I worked for an alcoholic, and he said if I wanted to have a bottle in my... I was a credit manager in a jewelry store, and he was an alcoholic. He owned the place. He says, well, it's okay with me as long as if you want to take a little drink on the, on the job. That's okay. You don't have to run around the corner all the time. He says, you can just put it in your desk if you want to have it there. It's fine. I said, well, I'd like to have a little beer back. He said, that's fine. There's a refrigerator back there. Put you some in the refrigerator, and you can have your beer and your, and your booze, too. And God, what a setup. So I, uh, I was there, and uh, I knew that there was never going to be an end to where it was because I was broke all the time. Everybody was looking for me. IRS was looking for me. Everything was going on. And I said, I can't do this anymore. And then suicide started coming into my head. And it just kept, it was there, prevalent all the time. You're going to have to do it because you're not going to be able to stop. You cannot stop drinking. Because I tried it before. I was in, I had been in jail. Uh, <laughs> they, um, I'm a thief as well, you know, so I, well, I was an alcoholic. So <laughs> let's just put it out there like it really is. They, uh, uh, they put you in jail for being a thief, you know. I took somebody else's money. I was trusted with their money, and I used it to drink with. And so they put you in jail for that. And I had gotten out of jail on bond, and uh, there I was in this place, and suicide just looked great. And I just, the, the one thing, I finally, I lived on the seventh floor of this old hotel, and I had to work like heck to get that window open. I just had to work like heck to get it open. And I, I'm sitting out there on this ledge, and I'm, I have no fear whatsoever that I remember. I don't ever remember any of that at all. What I do remember is that uh, I thought, you know, what are your last thoughts going to be? I mean, this is kind of permanent stuff we're talking about here. What are you, what are you going to, what are your last thoughts going to be? And I got to thinking, and you know how alcoholics are when we get to thinking. And I got to thinking, and I, I said. Hey, what about that suit I got down the cleaners? I wonder what's going to happen there. <laughs> and uh, I thought of a number of nonsensical things like that, you know. And then I says, well, and then uh, one more time, you know, God has been with me all my life, and I, I'm convinced of that. I just didn't know it at the time. And all the time I was praying for him to give me away or give me some help so I could get out of the hole that I was in. And he kept bitting me in dig deeper holes. And I kept getting in deeper holes. And I said, where is he? Why aren't you helping me? And this night I got the, the more or less the same kind of deal. I'm, I'm finally saying this is, oh, God. And I felt the sense of relief. I knew it was going to be over soon. I didn't have to go through all that stuff one more time. And I'm sitting up there on this thing. And, uh, and uh, I'm thinking about try all this trivial stuff. And then all of a sudden... Uh, the thought came to my head, Jim, you know, you have been a no-good, rotten father. You haven't taken care of your kids. All you've done is abandon them. And now you're going to leave them a suicidal father. Aren't you something? And I just could not do it. The more I tried, the more I wanted to move and jump, the, more, the less I could do. There was no will to do it. And so I'm convinced that my higher power had other things in store for me at that time. So I came back in and I did what I had been told to do when I was in jail. My public defender attorney had said to me, 
you know, you need to go to Alcoholics Anonymous when you get out. Of, if I can get you out on bail, you need to start going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings because that's the thing that uh, you need. To, at least you need to have it on your record as to having a gone so I can get you off or something. And so I said, I don't really have to do that, do I? <laughs> and he looked at me, he says, and he really hurt. And he says, no, you don't really have to. I said, well, thank you, I'll pass. And he just shook his head. He said, okay, you know, well... This time when I, it was a little after two o'clock, I'm assuming, and I, the only amenity I had in this hotel room was a, was a telephone. And I got on the phone and I, uh, tried to get Alcoholics Anonymous and all they had was a answering device. Now, at this time, uh, thank goodness today they have a 24 hour answering people, live people on there. But at that time they didn't. So I just hung up and the next day I called. And I just want to tell you just briefly the, uh, I just want to tell you the, uh, briefly what we, what was said because I called Alcoholics Anonymous and, well, I didn't get all that honest. I mean, come on, I, you know, a little bit, uh, one thing that, uh, an alcoholic has a hard time with, especially when they're brand new, is, uh, being humble and lying. You know, they lie a lot. And, uh, and a little bit of ego and arrogance in there is a whole lot of it in my case. But <laughs> nevertheless, uh, nevertheless, I, uh, I got to, I, I did this, I got on the phone, I called this lady and I said, uh, listen, uh, I'd like to get, uh, I'd like to get some information about your program for a friend of mine. And, uh, <laughs> the lady knew who the friend was. And she just, instead of starting telling me about Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, she started, uh, she started telling me her story about what happened to her in Alcoholics Anonymous. And she, well, I, I just want you to know that, uh, I abandoned two children. I said, my God, darling, is she looking in my book or what? You know. <laughs> and, and she's talking about how she felt about it. And I said, wow, man, I understood that. You know, how, how lousy she felt of being a lousy mother and all this. And I said, oh my God, I'm sorry I talked to this woman. You know. <laughs> And so she kept on, and then she started telling me about how things changed when she came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And that the only thing she really had to do was just a little bit of willingness and then go to the meetings. And that that was what the change came about. And we just kept on talking a while and all of a sudden, man, I, I never cried for anybody. I just didn't cry. But all of a sudden I'm getting a lump in my throat when she's talking, you know, and, and, uh, Oh, and I'm just, she's going on, and finally she says, uh, she got me into the conversation, and I was blabbering about something, and I don't really remember what it was now. But she says, oh, yes, I understand. I'm an alcoholic, too. And with that, boy, I just went, <laughs> just piled up a storm. <laughs> I just went on and on and on for about five minutes, you know, just went on. And uh, she says, uh, she let me go, and then a little while she says to me, could I ask you a question? Could it possibly be that this person you wanted to get some information for, uh, could that possibly have been you? <laughs> and I just went on and on and on, and finally, finally she let me settle down some more, and then she says, oh, thank God. Thank God, because if you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, like I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, 
We have the answers for you here in Alcoholics Anonymous. Won't you let me send someone out to talk to you? Now, this lady had seen inside me where nobody had been in a long, long time. She'd seen inside me, and that's the one thing I'm talking about is our identification. I identified with that lady over the phone even, and she was the one that was carrying the message, the message of recovery. And so she made arrangements for me to have this, to talk with this guy who would call me from Alcoholics. About an hour, this guy called me and said, my name is Tom, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Does anyone there have a problem with alcohol? Now this man sounded like a professional, or maybe a radio announcer or something, you know. He sounded real, and so I thought, oh, I'll answer him in kind. Yeah. Uh, yes, I think I may have been an alcoholic for about the past two weeks. <laughs> he said, Jim, I damn near busted out laughing with that one. <laughs> but anyway, we made arrangements to meet, and we did meet. And uh, I was not in good shape. He had asked me not to to try not to drink for the rest of the day. He says, I, he says, uh, says to me, he says, uh, well, would you not drink for the rest of the day? And I'll meet you tonight in front of your hotel at about six o'clock. I said, I don't understand. I, uh, he says, do you think you can not drink for the rest of the day? I said, no, I don't. I just, look, you don't seem to understand. I drink all day. I drink just enough to keep me going all day long. And then I get serious at night. But I got to tell you, I can't not drink during. He said, well, do you think you can try not to not drink? Try to not drink. I said, well, I can try, but I don't promise you anything. He said, why don't you try? I said, well, okay. Well, about 2 o'clock that day, I thought, maybe I better. I'd already been drinking, still been drinking. And uh, so I, uh, I, at 2 o'clock, I said, well, maybe I better not, not take any more for the rest of the day if I'm going to meet him and I met him. And I, it, about, about two hours later, I knew that was a bad idea because, you see, I, by this time, I needed that in my system just to stay even. And uh, besides that, I was, when I went down there and stood in front of his hotel, in, this, in front of this hotel, why, I, I knew I'd made a mistake again one more time. You know, who, why am I meeting this guy? I'm in my coat and tie, and I'm sweating clear through my coat. You know, it's that kind of day, and it's really bad news. And so I, I'm there, and this car comes around there, and this guy steps out of the car, and he stepped out of the car. Right? He's about that big, you know. And he kind of panned the crowd. Now, there was a bunch of people standing there, and he kind of panned the crowd, and, and he saw me, and he just started walking toward me and stuck his finger out. And uh, he says, Are you Jim? And I, I got my first resentment in Alcoholics Anonymous right there. Because I knew damn well I didn't look like no alcoholic, you know. And uh, he, uh, he says, uh, come on, let's go get something to eat. And uh, I promptly, he made me, he just kept on with his stuff about, about eating and all this. But this time I'm not in no shape. Eating was not, the last thing on my mind was eating. I, that was not something I did a lot of. And I was, besides that, I was... Not, I was getting quick is what I was doing. I was, I was jumping around a little bit. And uh, I, uh, I, I, uh, I didn't want to, what I did was he, made, he just kept on and finally I, I was sitting across from him in the table and I'd, I'd, he'd made me eat a bowl of soup. Bad mistake. He, uh, 
I'm all of a sudden I'm just talking to him with no warning whatsoever. I did a little projectile. You're ahead of me. <laughs> I did a little projectile puking right over into his lap. And uh, anyway, that's. that's <laughs> if it had been me, I'd have just been mad in the devil. But <laughs> he just grinned. He said, Wait, let's bring me a towel. He just wiped it off. <laughs> and we went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I want to tell you something. When I walked into that meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, now some of you have had different experiences. You, some of you would say, Oh, there was such love in the air. By this time, I, he, I, I kept telling him, Man, I need a drink. You don't understand. I'm about to fly apart. I really need a drink. And he says, I'll get you one in about 20 minutes. If you have to have one, I'll get you one in about 20 minutes. And, uh, so, and he'd ignore me, you know. Well, we get in this meeting, and by this time, my mind had just gone boom. I'm just bonkers. It's just as crazy as a loon. And, uh, this, and then everybody would come up to you, and, and it would seem to me like there was a horrendous amount of noise in that place. Just horrible. And they'd come up to you, and they might have said, Hi, Jim. And I, what I felt like was, hi, Jim! You know, and, and I jumped. And it just, one of those things. Anyway, we, uh, I sat down and the meeting started and, and, uh, they, uh, they called upon this lady first and this lady, <laughs> it was one of those type where they have, uh, they have, uh, participation first and, you know, then they have a speaker. Call this lady Sue, and she comes up to the microphone. My name is Sue, and I've been an Alcoholics Anonymous for six months, and I think it's the most wonderful program that ever was, and she just went on about how wonderful it was. And something came into my head. I have to respond to that lady. <laughs> so I stood up, and I said, Oh, BS, lady, BS. Tom looks at me, and he says, What's wrong with you? Shut up! <laughs> and I sat down. And he pulled me down. And uh, the next guy gets up there and he said, My name is Paul. I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous in four months. For four months. And I want you to know it's rough out there. It's really rough out there. That made sense to me. <laughs> You're right, Paul. It sure as hell is rough out there. Yanked me down again. He says, Jim, if you don't shut up, we're going to have to throw you out of here. Now, what's wrong with you? I need a drink. That's what's wrong with me. <laughs> About three years later, that meeting was over with, and I... They said, come on. How'd you like that meeting? Oh, I thought it was wonderful. I just thought it was wonderful. When do I get my drink? And so they said, come on, we'll get you that drink. And then we went over to this place over there, and we we stayed there for a while, and uh, we walked into the place, and there was only, you know, they had a place where they could seat six people in one of these places. And I didn't see, he said they were going to be able to get me a cocktail there. I didn't see no cocktail sign, but I did see a beer sign. I said, that would happen, you know, that would work if it had to be. So we get in there, and I said, where's my drink? And he's down at the end of the table there, and he says, um, Jim, he says, you had your last drink this afternoon around 2 o'clock, didn't you? Yeah. Um, well, you know what? See all these people? There was about 15 or 20 that came from the meeting with it. 
all these people here had to have a certain time of day that they had their last drink. Why don't we let uh, two o'clock be yours? I said, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Man, you're, I am about to come apart right now. And you're telling me, why don't I let two o'clock? He says, Jim, don't you think you could at least try? I said, oh, God. Okay, I'll try. Man, I said the magic word. Everybody on that table started me, Jim, you're going to love Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the greatest deal that ever happened to me. You just love it. The next one, without uh, not a hair's breadth of time moving past it, they says, Jim, Alcoholics Anonymous, best deal I ever had. You're going to love it, Jim. Jim, Alcoholics Anonymous is great. You're just going to love it. The next one down here, same way. And finally, oof, they just had me. So I laid my head down on the table. And I just, I just had to have a little rest. And, uh, so I heard some motion noise going on around there, you know. And when I raised my head up, I looked over at the guys over there and the guys over here. They had run in a whole new crew and they began to tell me how wonderful Alcoholics Anonymous was. Wow. For the first night I knew how wonderful Alcoholics Anonymous was. And then they, then they told me that, okay, Jim, come on, we'll take you back to your hotel and, and one of us will stay with you because we know it's going to be a rough night. No, I don't need anybody to stay with me. No, I don't need anybody. So we get there and I, I thought, I got to get rid of these guys because I, I still got me a half pint up in the room, right? And I always had me a half pint in the room. And I had me a half pint up there and I got up there in this half pint and, and, uh, this guy said, I, I was going to jump out of the car and just run up to the hotel, you know. I got out of the car, Tom was already out. He looks down at me about two feet, and he says, Jim, are you going to pour it out or am I? I said, what are you talking about? I knew damn well what he was talking about. He says, you're going to pour that bottle out that you got upstairs. How did he know I had a bottle upstairs? I said, and I knew he had me too. And I said, listen, if it gets poured out, you're going to have to pour it out because I can't. He said, well, let's get on and get up there and get that job done. And so we went up there and we poured it out. And he says, uh, Jim, one of us will stay with you now. Oh, it's okay. Anyway, uh, that, uh, that night uh, I went to the tortures of the damned because I hadn't had anything in a long time to drink as far as I was concerned. And you got to remember, I drank all the time just to keep even. And I got uh, the next morning... Uh, I never went to sleep that night. I don't know if any of you remember your first night staying sober. If you drank like I drank, that, that uh, you know there wasn't sleep was not a, a commodity that I had in my my uh, storage. But nevertheless, uh, the next morning I got up and uh, the phone. I was laying in bed and the phone <coughs> rang, and it was Tom. And Tom said, "Did you have to drink last night, Jim?" I said, "No, I didn't. By God, and I wish I had. And I don't know why I let you talk me into this idea in the first place. It's the craziest idea I ever heard in my life. I don't know why." Blah 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 blah. And uh, he just let me go for a while, and then he says, "I'd be surprised if you felt any other way." But Jim, hang in there. It gets better. It, I promise you, it gets better. And about a half hour later, another the guy that was with him drove the car. Bob called and says, "Jim, did you have to drink last night?" No, I didn't drink last night, but I'm sure wishing the heck I could this morning because I feel horrible and I've been puking all morning. He says, yeah, I understand. But he says, don't do it and we'll pick you up and go to another meeting tonight. And I said, oh, wonderful. That's just great. 
And so, uh, the one thing they had, had hooked me on, though, the night before, I watched all those people stay there, and every single one of them came over to me, Jim, hang in there. We know it's tough. And I knew that somehow or another, they were telling me they had done it. Now, I knew that, and I just didn't know if I could. But each one of them wanted me to know that they had and that I could. So I started going to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't ever want to forget those people who stayed up until 2 o'clock in the morning so that one drunk would have a chance not to have to, li not to, have to live the life he was living. And from that day until this day, I have not had anything to drink. I want to tell you, that's God's grace. Absolutely, it's God's grace. A while ago, I was, uh, <laughs> I asked Joe if I could find it. I always like to have a little quiet time before I talk because I am very concerned about what I have to say up here. I'm concerned because I believe that God works behind this podium through me or through anybody else. But I, I don't want to, I want to do God's job for him. That's, you know, I guess maybe you can call it ego, call it what you want to. But I want to do God's job. And so I asked Joe if I could have a little quiet time. If there was a place in this church that I could go where I could have a little quiet time. And Joe took me over to the library over there and let me go in the library. And I sat there by myself, as I usually do. And uh, I asked God to help me carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous to get me and my ego out of the way so I could carry the message. And that uh, because the message is here. And I know because you've given it to me for 28 years, you've had let me have sobriety. And uh, as I was walking out to turn off the lights, there was an unfurled scroll on the left side of the door over there. And it says, God's grace is sufficient for you. I thought, wow, it is. It really is. And I've had it all these years. I've had God's grace for 28 years. And I want to tell you, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I have, I had three brothers who were preachers, and one who was a deacon in a church. No, I'm sorry, two brothers who were preachers, one who was a deacon in a, ch deacon in a church. And uh, the, the thing I got from those brothers from time to time was, if you'd just get right with Jesus, everything would be all right. And I said, oh, God, please don't start that with me. And I had to go down into the depths of hell before I found out what God's grace was. And God's grace sent me to Alcoholics Anonymous. And now I talk about God all the time. <laughs> and if I just keep my motives right, God helps me to do everything there is to do. I was taught all the things that I know that are worth knowing in Alcoholics Anonymous. I thought I knew a lot. I'd been successful in business, up and down, up and down, up and down. I'd done all those things. I didn't know the first thing it was in the world about inner peace. I was like a racetrack, a, horse, a, a, a race track with horses running in both directions all around the track. My head was full of everything. God, I wanted to do this, I wanted to do this, I was going to be president of this or that or whatever. I was everything. And the only way I had a calming that down at all was to when I could get enough to enough booze in there and then I could live into fantasy. Today, I have a lot of problems that go on in my life. 
that I don't particularly like being there, but I've got the tools because I came to Alcoholics Anonymous because my life got so bad that I had to come to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I went into one of the one of the groups that uh, that had a dictator, <laughs> and uh, he became my sponsor, and I am ever grateful for that. I'm being facetious, of course, but it was a structured group. And I went into this group. Oh, I met my sponsor. I got to tell you about that. I'm going to meetings for quite a while, and I'm, they're giving me all this wonderful stuff about, okay, here in this meeting, we, uh, we come in, we show up early, we shake hands with everybody, and uh, we don't uh, come in here in ragtag clothes. We kind of dress up a little bit. We don't get anything business, you know, hoi polloi, but we dress up. We don't come in here and, and holding the rear end jeans and that sort of stuff, you know. And so uh, that's what we expect you to do. We expect you to be here on time, and we expect you to get a sponsor. And uh, I loved all that other stuff. Uh, I didn't mind that, but I, when they started that sponsor, I knew I'd seen what their sponsors were telling them to do, you know. And I really didn't need one of those. And so I, uh, one night I was at this, about four months sober. And I'm in this thing, and this guy walks, and the, I'm sitting at tables just like this. And it's about this kind of distance, too. And I'm sitting up at one of the front tables up there, and, and this guy, Byron, said, Jim, when are you going to get a sponsor? He says, you know, you've been around here a long time. We've been talking to you a long time about getting a sponsor. It's time for you to get a sponsor. If you don't get a sponsor, you're going to get drunk. A guy with the arrogance and the ego and the hostility that you got, you're going to get drunk. Man, uh, first of all, he made me mad. And secondly, <laughs> how the heck did he know I was going to get drunk, you know? And, uh, he, but uh, everybody else had gotten sponsors, so I said, Okay, okay, I'll get one, I'll get one. He said, that's fine, we'll get, we'll find you one right away. I said, I'll get one, I'll get one. And, uh, so, just so help me, not 15 seconds had elapsed. That door opened, and this guy walks in, and Byron hits me in the side, Jim, there's the guy you ought to get for a sponsor. I looked at him, and I looked at him, and I looked at him, and I looked at him, I said, you gotta be kidding. I can't stand that little, much less ask him to be my sponsor. He's an arrogant so-and-so. He's a they, he's some kind of a guru around here, and I don't like him. He says, I don't care whether you like him or not. You need him for a sponsor. And he just wouldn't turn loose. So at the coffee break, I, I said, at the coffee break, I'll go ask him. He said, oh, good, good. So I went over there, and at the coffee break, I kind of swaggered over to him, and I stuck my finger right in his face. I said, listen, Clancy, you're going to be my sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> kind of got quiet a little bit and he looked up and he says I'm what? you're going to be my sponsor listen puke people don't tell me I'm going to be their sponsor now you get the hell out of here and come back later and maybe I will, maybe I won't ooh I went back over to Byron you see there Byron, I went over there and I humbled myself and he's <laughs> He said, yeah, I saw you humbled yourself. <laughs> Go back there and ask that man right to be your sponsor. So after the thing was over with, I went over to him. I said, uh, Clancy, I really would appreciate it if you would be my sponsor. He says, well, I like that attitude change. It really helps, Jim. And, but he says, now, I need to tell you something. There are certain things that I do as a sponsor. He says, first of all, I want to tell you this. 
I give direction. I don't give suggestions. I don't give any of that sort. I give directions, which I expect to be followed without question. Is that understood? I heard myself, I heard my mouth saying, uh-huh. Because <laughs> it, it flew in the face of everything I felt. And uh, then he says, and now here are the rules. And he started telling the rules. You'll be at seven meetings a week of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I will tell you which ones, and I will tell you what to, who to see when you go there. And he says, uh, and you will be there at least 45 minutes early. You will help to set up each meeting, and I'll tell you which ones that you'll set up. And, and by the way, when you go up to this meeting, he pointed to the Tuesday night meeting, he says, I want you to go up and see the secretary and tell him that you want to be on the greeting line. Oh, no, I don't want to be on the greeting line. He says, I said I give direction, not recu- not to suggestions. And uh, you said you'd do it. I said, okay. Yeah, so. And he said, now, here's what you're going to say, and I don't want you to say anything more. Hi, my name is Jim, and I'm new. <laughs> oh. I'm four months over. And I, and I looked at him, I said, but I don't, I'm not new. Yeah, you're new. Yeah, hi, I'm Jim and I'm new. I said, oh my God. So anyway, that's what I did. And I'm up there and, hi, my name is Jim and I'm new. <laughs> Somebody just wanted to slap him right in the face. I just didn't. Anyway, that, but what I did and what I felt like was something else. Anyway, that's why I started doing that. And uh, little things started to happen. You know, I they had talked about that one of these days that... I would know, the, somebody read me the promises, that's what it was. And they said in the promises, that they read them all to me. And the only one that I picked up on, or one that I really picked up on, it was part of it said, and we will know peace. God, I wanted some peace. I wanted some peace so bad. My mind was just a racetrack of guilt when I got sober. All I could stuck in there was guilt. Guilt about my children. Guilt about the stuff I had stolen. Guilt about the IRS. Guilt, 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 guilt. And God, I wanted some peace from that. And uh, my sponsor told me, I told him about that. He said, oh, you'll have it one of these days. Don't worry about that. You'll have it. He said, you just keep asking God for it. <laughs> oh, gosh, there they go again. Ask God for it, you know. And uh, I kept saying to God, you know, I'd really like a little peace. And I said, I don't know what i got to do to get it, but please show me and I'll do it. And so I started having to go on panels. And I started doing all those things. And I I know that I was about ten months sober. And for the whole weekend, I had gone to the meeting on Friday night. And I we were going on to, we were going up to camping is what we were going to do. And I came back Sunday night. And I realized that that whole weekend... My mind was completely at ease. I didn't have nothing going on in my mind all that week. And I'd had some peace. God, what a relief. Yes, it's possible. But Monday morning, back again, you know, at racetrack. Bang, 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 bang. All that stuff going on in my head. But guilt, guilt, guilt was always there. And then finally, uh, after a while, I kept saying to my sponsor, I said, what am I going to do about this guilt? Clancy, I feel so guilty. He says, yeah, I know. That's because you're guilty. (laughs) And I said, thanks a lot. That's the way it is, Jim. But I said, well, how do I get rid of it? He says, you're doing part of it now. But he says, you want to really do it? You want to accelerate the process? 
He says, you know, when you're, you're doing your uh, helping clean up meetings and that sort of thing. He says, you got an old $10 car out there. And I did, about a $10 car. He says, go down there to Watts and pick up some of those guys down in Watts. I said, you've got to be kidding. I'm a white guy. You go down there to Watts and pick up. you got to be kidding. He says, no, I'm not kidding. He said, there's a place down there, 12-step house. Let me show you where it is. And he put it in the book right there. Go down there and tell me to bring them over to the meeting. I said, you're crazy. No, no, I mean it. Go down there. I get my $10 Pontiac. Beat, nope, one top, one front fender's gone. Beat, the back's all, you know. And anyway, I get down there and I got a, I got a piece of red plastic over the, over the one back light, so I got a stoplight. Remember it well, boy. <laughs> Anyway, I, uh, and I get there, and, uh, I get over there and I pick this guy up and he says, gosh, where did, you can't, what meeting were we going to? I said, we're going out here on the west side. You're kidding. No, I'm not. How come you to come down here and get me? Oh, that's just something we do. <laughs> oh, all that phoniness don't go well all of a sudden, you know. Took the guy to the meeting and he was totally impressed. You know what he was totally more impressed with? Everybody in my group came up and said, hi, welcome. And they didn't care where he came from, who he was or whatever. They came up and said, hi, welcome. And man, I took that guy back to that 12-step house down in Watts. And, uh, or I don't know if it was Watts or South Central, Warren. It may have been. <laughs> but nevertheless... Nevertheless, when I took him back there, that guy had, hey, can we go out there to your place again sometime? Be back to get you next week. And as long as he was there, I took him out there. He finally moved out there and became part of us. <laughs> and that, uh, that's how that kind of stuff began. But anyway, he says, start doing that. He says, it's, when we come to Alcoholics Anonymous, we're, we're so full of guilt and everything and we're like a scale. This is us down here. This is everybody else up here. And the way we change that is we go down to Watts and we pick up this guy and we bring him to the meeting and we put that over in this part of the scale. And it just inches up just a little bit. It starts to balance out. And he says, then we go out of our way and we, we try to write to somebody out in a, in a prison or something like that and tell them that there's a way to change their, change their life. And they can come over here. And then we put that in a bucket and it kind of balances out a little bit more. And we just keep doing those things. And one day, you wake up, and all of a sudden, the scale's balanced out. The scale's balanced out. And you feel good. And that happened to me. It happened to me. There's a celestial jest about this whole thing, though, you understand. This one over here has a hole in it, and it keeps coming, they keep emptying it out, so you have to keep on doing it just to keep it balanced out. <laughs> but that's good for us, you know. And I gotta tell you, those kind of things, every time I was, every time something was wrong with me emotionally, I was given an action to do to change that emotion. An action. And that's the reason I'm so glad that I was into a structured meeting. Not one of those kind, do your own thing, baby, whatever makes you feel good, baby. If I'd have did what I wanted to make me feel good, it wouldn't have been what I did, I promise you. But they insisted I work the steps. They insisted I go on 12-step calls. They insisted I come in looking decent. Get off. You, when you came here, you looked. At, when you first came to Alcoholics Anonymous, you stank and you looked ugly. 
get yourself some clean clothes and stay that way and come to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous and change the way you're living and you'll change the way you're thinking. And I finally realized, and I was told several times, you know, we are not bad people trying to get good. We are sick people trying to get well. And that's why we keep coming to this thing. And you know the reason that I still come, to, still go to as many meetings as I do is because I've got a built-in forgetter. And if I don't come to these meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, I won't hear you tell me about your successes of working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I won't hear you telling one of the people you sponsor a direction that is makes a lot of sense and it will help somebody else in their lives. I won't hear that and I'll forget it. The most important thing in my life today is that in my, in my program of Alcoholics Anonymous are the people that I sponsor, the one who have given me the privilege of sponsoring them. I love those men. I love them. They have saved my bacon more than more times than I can just imagine. Because there's so many times I just like to say, oh, God, I don't want to go this Saturday night meeting. I am tired. I deserve a rest. I've been out talking and I've been all this other stuff. I deserve a rest. One of them will call, uh, Jim, uh, say, uh, you're going to be at the meeting tonight. i got to talk to you about something. Yeah, I sure am. I'm going to be right there. You know. <laughs> and uh, I've had that happen so many times. It's not funny. It just, I love my, the people I sponsor. They're most important to me. And then I have uh, the gifts of Alcoholics Anonymous. The gifts of Alcoholics Anonymous to me are, is my partner, who works this program with me. We live together, and I watched her work her program. And sure, we've got some problems with uh, Tracy right now, and I have different ideas about her than what they should be done. But that doesn't mean anything. What it means is that that's one of the mo one further little point in life that we have to get through, and that's as simple as that. Um, I'm glad she's my partner. I'm glad that uh, God chose that uh, we should, <laughs> he should give me a little courage and I didn't have to be so chicken. <laughs> and uh, that's very important to me. Likewise, I'm glad and she's here tonight, as you know. And I'm glad that um, my wife talked to my daughter when she called from California and we were living in Oklahoma. And my wife said, it's Sheila. And I'm doing a 12-step call. I'm, no, I'm doing a fifth step with a guy back in the, in the bedroom. I said, well, I'll have to call her back. And when I called her back, she wasn't there. And so the next day, we got a hold of her. She'd been in, had to go get a little drunk, you know. And when my wife talked to her the next day, why, we are, I told her we'll send some tickets to her. But uh, I uh, really didn't think it was going to work. I didn't think it was right. But that's what we'll do. We'll send her some tickets, and she can come back here if she wants to. And she'd had a little boy, and she, uh, I was not looking forward to that. I want you to believe me, I was not. I uh, thought, uh, in fact, I told my wife, I said, Bernard, one more time, that girl drives me insane. She and I have butted heads ever since that we've been back together, she and I have butted heads. And uh, she can just look at me and there'll be something blue out there and she'll say, no, it's white. You know, it's the same thing. <laughs> and uh, so she, I said, uh, it's just a bad deal. But she said, Jim, I think it may be a cry for help. I said, you're probably right. 
So I said, okay, we'll send her a ticket. And we sent her a ticket, and she came back there. And and like I said, there's some very special people here in this room tonight for me. And uh, my wife, I was so distraught with that whole thing. I just couldn't handle it, the truth was. And uh, there was uh, another lady who was here, who Susan was here and at the house, and she and Benoit went to pick my daughter up. And my daughter had this little boy who I had admonished her about. And I said, now listen, let me tell you something about that kid. I am not going to get emotionally involved in that kid. Do you understand that? I just am not going to do it because she'll bring that kid back here and dump him on us and we'll have to raise him. Or she'll bring him back there, we'll fall in love with that kid, and she'll take him away. And it just the scenario was I just kept giving her about a half a dozen more, you know. And I said, I'm just not going to do that. She says, yes, dear. <laughs> and so she goes out to the airport and picks up my daughter. And uh, Bronze brings my daughter back. And I looked at my daughter and my, I, I just, my heart just tore apart. It just tore apart because I knew where she'd been. I knew the stuff she'd gone through. And I knew how she felt inside. And I didn't know if there was a willingness to change that. I didn't know if that was there. And my heart was just broken in two. So I did what my sponsor told me to do. Do the actions, Jim. You don't have to feel them. You don't have to like them. You just do the actions. And let's see if the results will follow. So I did the actions. I made her welcome. And that uh, little blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid that she had, about 18 months old. Gampa! Gampa! I told my wife I wasn't ever going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, about 16 hours later, he had me right around his little finger. Still does. <laughs> As my wife says, you bet, I'm, I may be a lousy father, but I'm a good grandpa, by golly. And so that's been a, been a real blessing. And uh, the facts were she one night she was, well, she started going down and on, and that was real good until she and her sponsor went out and got drunk, and she got into a blackout. And, uh, and she didn't know, and she didn't know where my grandson was. She had left my grandson. And then things began to happen inside me, and I realized, my God. And so what happened was, I said, Shumery, I want to talk to you down at my office. And the next day she came down there, and she says, uh, I looked at her, and I, all the way down, all the time, after I'd called her, I said, God, you know I'm a screamer and a yeller, and I, and I know that that's not effective. I just can't help myself. Please help me not to scream, not to yell, not to do any of that stuff. Please help me. Just convey what I'm trying to say. So I, when she came in, I told her, I said, Sheila, and I looked her dead in the eye, and I was quiet as I, as calm as I knew how to get. I said, Sheila Marie, I love you more than you know, sweetheart. But I got to tell you, the guilt that I've had over the years for you and your brother winding up in foster homes and having to live the way you've lived was something I know that you possibly could face because if you keep on drinking like I kept on drinking 
there, that boy is going to wind up in the same place that you wound up. And I cannot let that happen twice in my lifetime. You kids, it had to happen to you, I guess. But I am in a position today where I cannot let that happen to Brad. And I want you to understand that I love you. And I'm not telling you what you got to do. But I do want you to know that if you not, something is not done, I'll use whatever legal steps I have to to see to it that that boy doesn't wind up in the foster home. And she looked at me and she says, I understand, Dad. And she turned around and walked out. All I did was go back in the restroom and start crying because I didn't know if I'd have said anything that made any sense at all. But I did know that God had carried me this far. And hopefully I was all right where I was with that. And so that, uh, the next, on, I don't know whether that was a Friday or when that was, but it seemed to me like a couple of days later, I was sitting in my place, third row back, right on the aisle of my meeting on Saturday night. And somebody, and they asked for newcomers. And somebody nudged me. Look back at my wife. My wife nudged me and said, look back there. Sheila was back in there. She, her hand went up. And needless to say, all I could do was cry. Hell, that's all I learned how to do in Hogs and I was with the cry. <laughs> anyway, I, I looked back there and there was my daughter and she had her hand up. And last month, I was in Norman, Oklahoma. And she walked up and took her 10th AA sobriety birthday cake. And I probably, I know we're not supposed to have a lot of pride, but I want to tell you, I was looking at an outstanding example of Alcoholics Anonymous. And my love for that girl could not have grown more deeper, more deep than it is today and has been over the years because of Alcoholics Anonymous, because of the common bond that we share, the common road to recovery that we share. I'm as proud of her as I am anything in this world. And I love her deeply. And I wouldn't trade our relationship today for anything in this world. And that's one of the gifts of Alcoholics Anonymous. Given to us by a loving God that I'm convinced is with us always. Many of you know that my my uh, my brother Bill called me one time and he says, Jim, you better get back here. And he says, Got you're coming by back here. We need to see you because... Your dad's in the hospital, and he's been drunk again, and his stomach is busted open, and he's, he looks like he's going to die. So I went back there, and I took a look at my dad, and all the way back on the airplane, I said, God, please let me say something that will be effective. Please let me say something that, that will help. You've, let, you've given me the program. Please let me say something to help my dad. And my dad, I saw him, and God, he looked horrible. He looked bloated, and he looked like he was going to die. And, and I said, said to my dad, I said, Dad... I'm not back here to criticize you. You've been to Alcoholics Anonymous with me. You know what it's done in my life. I just want you to know that I really love you. And I hope that, uh, that I, that whatever you do, that it's okay. And I just know that because I may not get the chance to tell you I love you again. And with that, I turned around and I walked out because I didn't know what else to say. And I, uh, one of the gifts, one more gift.
that you people have given me. A year later, I was able to call back to Oklahoma City and wish my 79-year-old father happy number one AA birthday. <laughs> and it, where else could something like that happen but in Alcoholics Anonymous? You know, where you go in to save your own skin and you wind up. And what happened was when I called my dad and I said, Gosh, Dad, I'm so proud of you. I love you and I just want you to know how proud I am of you. He said, Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. He says, First of all, you got it all turned around. He says, First, Alcoholics Anonymous is the thing that allowed me to stay sober. And he says, You were my example of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I want to thank you. God, all I can do is just cry, you know, just <laughs> one more time, you know. And so for that gift, I thank you for those ten years that my dad had walking on the sunny side of the street. He loved Alcoholics Anonymous. He was even secretary of the senior citizens group there in Oklahoma City. And I loved my dad, and I had a good relationship with my dad in those times. And so you have given me so many things. You've given me everything there is to have. Are there a lot of things that I would like to have more of? Sure, but one thing that's always happened in Alcoholics Anonymous, my needs have always been fulfilled. And if you're new out there and you think, oh, my God, I can't do this, I can't do it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can, because I felt the same way. You know, our book talks about one thing, about how we, how we, our, the things that we did in the past that we were so ashamed of. And it quotes it in, I think, in the family afterward. It quotes about, it says, because we, we all were, didn't like the things that we had done and we were ashamed of them and that we didn't, weren't going to ever tell a soul and during our fourth and fifth steps, we did that. And yet, in the big book it says, cling to the thought that those experiences, those dark, deep secrets, are the most precious possession that you have. For with them, you can avert death and destruction of others. That's a pretty awesome task. We're, that's a responsibility given to us by the book. I hope we all work our best to fulfill it. Thank you all for being here.